You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Let's pray. Father, that's our, that is our heart's cry uh, each and every day, is that we would keep the main thing the main thing, that Jesus, we would just passionately follow after you, that we, as we move into this new year, that that would be our focus, that there are a lot of things that, that could consume our time, our mind, our priorities, our activity. Jesus, would, would it just be you in our lives each and every day? What it is that you desire of us, what it is that you call us to do, who you want us to be. Let us just dump our lives into you and would you do the same to us, God? Um, we ask now as we open up your word, as we study, as we uh, take a little bit of a deeper dive, uh, we ask that you'd lead us and guide us, impact us. Amen. You may be seated. What a great reminder. Old school. We went old school worship with that one, which my wife was thankful for because the first two songs uh, I'm not that familiar with and I destroyed them. And uh, so I needed some old school to come along. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks so much for coming and and being together this morning. As we uh, ring in this new year, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to jump back into our King Jesus series as we're walking through uh, the gospel of Matthew. Uh, We we should be diving deep into the life of Jesus because that's who we're called to be. We're called to be like Christ in all that we do. And uh, this is my favorite thing to, uh, to study and to teach on is the life of Jesus because we're never going to have it perfected, but we're called to follow Him at all times, to become more like Him, uh, more of His glory, one degree to the next. And so that's our prayer that each and every day that we could be more like Him. And it's my prayer for this new year uh, that we would become more and more like Christ, but not just become more and more like Him but be more and more obedient to Him as well and what He's called us to do uh, to go and, and make disciples. Um, I don't know what 2022 meant for you, but there are a number of people I know that just, we just want to get that behind us and start something fresh and new. But remember what we talked about last week, our past is not an anchor to drag us down, not something to bemoan, but it's a rudder to guide us to say, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live differently. Uh, into the future for what it is that God has for me. Um, My prayer is that we're going to rise this year to greater heights as we acknowledge Christ more and more in our lives each and every day as King, as the sovereign authority over who we are, as we passionately pursue Him, that that we would just rise above the things that constantly and continually want to drag us down uh, in the world that we're living in. I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I hope that, that you do as well. It should be a daily quest for us. Some people say that a lot. Some people say, I want to be a better Christian, whatever that means. Some say that to do that, it just means I want to go deeper into my faith. It's all really kind of saying the same thing. We want to walk closer. We want to fall more in love with Jesus. But it's all rising to this calling that He has in our lives, of actively following Jesus. That's what a disciple is, somebody who actively follows Jesus and then loves people. It's what God told us to do, to love God 
and to love others. But, but we use that word actively because there are so many of us that fall into this mindset that being a disciple of Jesus means uh, that, that I just read this more, that I just understand this more, right? I got six, seven Bible studies that I attend. That makes me a great disciple, right? Uh, I, I watch all of these pastors on TV and I listen to all these podcasts that, and I read all these books. That makes me a great disciple. And what we have to be reminded of is actively following Jesus, mean doing what he called us to do, which is to take all of the knowledge that we have and then to go out and put it into practice. A disciple is not a disciple until they are a disciple maker. That's really important for us to understand. We are more than spectators. We have to rise above just sitting back and getting comfortable and just being a consumer. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we're following Him in every aspect, doing what it is that He's called us to do. And the example that He set for us is actively loving other people. Most importantly in that is rescuing souls, sharing the gospel with them, helping them to become more like Christ so that they could be a disciple maker. Here's what happens. The beginning of chapter 12. Uh, I think it's a great text for us to, uh, to start off the new year with. If you will stand with me, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 uh, says this. So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. That's God's Word. You can ha have a seat. So let's just jump into this. If, if we're going to rise to be the disciple makers that, that Jesus has called us to be, and to follow after that calling, I want to just start today to talk about that, that we've got to rise being, above being spectators. Now, this isn't uh, taught necessarily in this text, but I thought at the beginning of the year to, for us to go back to what we're all about here at Century, what our vision is all about in making disciples, uh, what's implied at the beginning of this text is great for us as a reminder to be followers of Jesus and following Him at all times. The relationship, we talk about this all the time, the relationship between a teacher and a disciple in ancient times was so much deeper than just going to a classroom and sitting and listening. This was doing life together. If you were chosen as a disciple to follow after a teacher, then that was you were in 100%. Wherever your teacher went, you went. Whatever your teacher ate, you ate however your teacher ate. So if you were right-handed, but your teacher ate left-handed, you taught yourself to eat left-handed, not because they commanded it of you, but because you desired so deeply 
to become like your teacher. You understood Scripture the way that they taught it. And so you took that with you until one day your rabbi, your teacher would look at you and go, I think you can do what I do. I've multiplied myself in you. Now you go and make disciples. Now you go do the same thing with your life. And so to be a disciple is to to passionately pursue, to follow after Jesus, to become more and more like him every day. John 3.22 says that that Jesus uh, spent time with his disciples or or he he lived with them. Uh, If you were to really kind of break the Greek down in that, what it meant is Jesus got under the skin of his disciples, meaning their relationship went deeper than just a hi, how how are you and conversations, but but he actually uh, motivated them to live differently. And the only way you could do that is by doing life together. That's why when we talk about disciple making here at Century, we say so importantly that part of being a disciple is being in community. We have to get under the skin of you, not as an irritant, but, but as an encouragement in how we live our lives together. But they had a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so here they are out on the Sabbath out for a walk with Jesus. They're not just out for a stroll. They're actually going somewhere. We're going to talk about this next week. But they're on their way to the synagogue. They're on their way to worship. They're on their way to learn and to grow. But they're following Jesus. And as they go, here they are walking through uh, this grain field. But it was their priority each and every moment of the day was, was to follow their teacher. Albert Einstein said, you'll never solve a problem on the level of consciousness that created it. In other words, you're you're never going to be able to fix something uh, just by thinking about it. You've thought about it, and okay, you've come up with a problem, but you're not going to be able to solve it in the same way. You actually have to, to, to rise higher than that. You've got to do something about it. There has to be a, a next step than just thinking. And so saying you want to be a disciple is one thing. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is a totally different thing. You've got to rise higher than just knowledge. It's got to move into activity, to actively follow, being more than a spectator, allowing Jesus to get under our skin and live in us and through us to produce the results that He calls us to produce, which is more followers of Him. 1 John 2.6 My favorite verse, my life verse that I try to model every day, I fail so often. But anybody who claims to live in Him, anyone who claims to be a Christian, must walk as Jesus walked. Do what Jesus did. Live like Him. That's what it means to be a follower of Him. 50 years ago, I looked this up, 50 years ago, 90% of Americans claimed to be followers of Jesus. Claimed to be Christian. That is a huge number. Today, that number has, is rapidly shrinking. We're at about 60% right now of Americans will claim to be Christian. About 200 million people uh, from what statistics say. Um, the struggle that I see, the frustration that I see, 200 million people still claim to be Christians, and yet only 2 million new believers follow Jesus every year. What does that tell us? Right? We, we can kick and scream all you want about, well, our culture is going down the tubes. And, you know, I mean, you come up with a million excuses. But I'll tell you the one reason why it's not happening. 
Because there's 200 million Christians who Jesus said, go and make disciples. And, and I know every soul matters, so 2 million is still a lot. Uh, but the number keeps dropping. Why? And I'll admit it. It's because we're not doing our job. The one thing that Jesus has called us to do is to go and make disciples of all nations. And, and, and we're not seeing it. They're predicting by the year 2070, so 50 years from now, uh, that the number of Christians in America is going to drop in half, be about around 30%. Uh, and, and not that we, need, we don't need to be the majority, but we are called to reach everybody with the gospel of Jesus. We've got to do better. We've got to become more than spectators. And we're not only are, are we not reaching lost people, but we are losing young people in the church like crazy. And a lot of the reason, because I've talked to them, a lot of the reason is what we're looking at today. Because they're not seeing people who are actually living out what this says. And they're using it uh, against them. We're called to go and to make disciples. Well, we follow it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, He said, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you start a revival. Because the, the fields are ripe with harvest and we know that go out and talk to anybody people will tell you the world doesn't want to hear about jesus oh they desperately do people are looking for hope they're looking for peace they're looking for happiness and they're looking for joy and they're looking for love and jesus offers all of that and we have it we just have to take it to people jesus says so here's what i want you to do the fields are, are ripe. go out but pray that the Lord would send out workers. Because Jesus knew, right? That it's a great message. There's just not that many people who are willing to go out and to tell others about it. But we have to be. Not, not because Jesus just commands it, that he, that he tells us to, but because it has changed our lives. Right? It's the reason. Jesus is the only reason why I have joy, why I have hope, why I have peace. And if I come across somebody else who doesn't have that, I'd say, look, I have the answer. Let me share it with you because it will change their eternity. It rescues their soul. I, we should want so badly for other people to have what it is that we have. We've got to rise being above spectators. Second thing, as we get into the meat now of the text, is rising above opinion. Uh, the tension that we find in this situation is that the Pharisees, the religious elite, Right, the extreme right wingers uh, that they feel that their job is to hold everybody accountable, so that they're, everybody's obeying the law. And if you're not, then it was their uh, desire that you should be punished for it. And they see the disciples walking through this grain field, and they grab some handfuls of wheat and pop it in their mouth uh, to eat it. Now, understand, right? So, we just to, to clarify, this was not the disciples' grain field. It wasn't Jesus' grain field? that they were walking through was some stranger, that, that they were on their way to the synagogue. Because if there's a crop growing in, in Israel, there's a crop growing anywhere, right? It belongs to somebody. And, and so they're, they're walking this path that goes right through the field because, uh, one, everybody walked everywhere that they went. Uh, and in ancient uh, times, in ancient Israel, uh, in order to get from one place to another, there was usually a well-worn path in the shortest possible line that there could be. And if it cut through with somebody's field, then so be it. In a communal society, you didn't care. 
All right, if people need to use my land to get somewhere, uh, that's totally fine. Uh, I almost got fired as a paperboy. My first job when I was 13 years old, I almost got fired because I was wearing down a well-worn path in all the neighbor's yard, right? Because I was taking shortcuts, even though it said, stay on sidewalks and driveways. And I'm like, well, nobody knows. It's like 5 a.m., right? How is anybody ever going to find out? Until all of a sudden, everybody starts realizing in the neighborhood that there's, uh, there's foot traffic all the way matting down their grass. Uh, in ancient times, it, it was their land, but we don't care. If you need to get somewhere, you cut through it. We'll just we'll grow our crops, but if there's a path that needs to be worn down in the middle of it, so be it. We're okay with it. It was typical. In Deuteronomy, God spoke to uh, His people, and He specifically was speaking to those that were uh, raising crops, to farmers. And he, and he said, when you go out to, uh, to reap your harvest, um, don't look back after you've done it to see what you missed, to see what you've dropped, whether, you're, uh, whether you grow uh, wheat or if you have a vineyard. Jesus said, or, uh, God said, don't, don't worry about it. Leave that all on the ground and leave what you missed uh, because that's for uh, the widow and the orphan and the oppressed and the sojourner, the traveler, those that are walking through your field uh, so, that they can, so that they can eat. And, and he says there's a reason behind it. So because every time that you see that, I want you to be reminded of when you were, were brought out of Egypt and how I provided for you. I showed mercy and compassion to you. I gave you uh, what it is that you needed. And so that will be a reminder to you of what I've done for you, but also to those that are oppressed, that, that I'm the God that takes care of them. You get to participate in that, so let it be. And in Leviticus chapter 19, as God's giving this law, He, he says, don't, and don't reap the fields uh, up to the edges, but leave the edges for the traveler, those that, that come along uh, your way. And he concludes it by saying, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I take this seriously. Let others have some of what you have. And so this was really kind of known as law for the farmer, but also it was also known as permission if you were a traveler. Right? It, would, it was just giving you uh, rights as, a, as those that were in need, those that were hungry, you have every right to take well, what it is that's left on the edges. Actually, in Leviticus, God said, you can eat of the edges uh, of what you pluck with your hand, but you cannot bring a sickle with you, right? In other words, you can't do the farming and take more than what you need. Uh, it's given there as a, re- a reminder that I am God and I'm taking care of you. So what the disciples are doing, just so that we're clear, clear on this, as the disciples are walking through and they're grabbing wheat and eating it, totally permissible right in what uh, the law stated what god wanted for people the problem to the pharisees was though that they were doing it on the sabbath and in their opinion what the disciples are they don't go after them for for stealing they go after them for for doing work on the sabbath how dare you reach out your hand and grab that wheat and eat it there, there are uh, a number of laws in uh, not biblical laws, but rules of ancient Jewish tradition that they were breaking just in that alone. There was uh, uh, 400 years of silence 
In other words, that God didn't speak to His people between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. No prophet came along to explain to the people how to live their lives. That's a lot of generations of trying to figure this out. That's a lot of information and tradition. We'll get to that in a minute. But tradition that gets passed down on what it means to be a follower of God. Uh, about a hundred years before Jesus, there was this period known as the Maccabean period. And as the Jews were being more and more oppressed by their enemies, there was a significant day. It was actually a Sabbath day where the enemies of the Jewish people came in and they attacked a thousand Jews. Not only did they attack them, but they slaughtered them, killed them all. Because the Jewish people refused to pick up a sword and fight on the Sabbath. So they were all murdered. Well, that started something among the sages, among the rabbis, among the the wise teachers of the day that were studying the law, God's word, uh, and trying to figure out, so, so should they have, they started asking the question, should they have fought for themselves? Should they have defended themselves? Would that have been considered work? And then that led to, and I kid you not on this, uh, if we were to write it out in English, it, it's known as the Mishnah, uh, the oral interpretation of God's law. So God gave, let's just say, the Ten Commandments. And there's not a lot more that He gave to explain what those Ten Commandments were, but the ancients decided that it was up to them to decide what it was to, let's just say, break the Sabbath and to obey the Sabbath. They actually came up with 39 categories uh, of keeping the Sabbath holy. And in each of those categories, dozens and dozens and dozens of rules on what it means to obey the Sabbath and not obey the Sabbath. God didn't, God didn't give a whole lot of rules about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath because He just said, don't work. Rest. Trust me on this. It wasn't meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a joy. It was meant to be something that you looked forward to. Oh, we get to have a day where we just get to enjoy God's presence and enjoy each other and we just get to worship Him and, rem- and be reminded that we can trust Him in all things. But out of this, this battle that took place uh, came thousands of rules on how to obey the law. It wasn't biblical. It, was, it became kind of ritual tradition there are crazy ones in there one was was how far a person could walk on the sabbath without it considered to be work so they just said 1500 steps that's how far you can walk on the the sabbath can you imagine having to keep track of that like how many how many steps have i taken have i gone too far and then it got even crazier because god did want his people to honor the sabbath so there were things that he said he said don't kindle a fire on the sabbath why? Because he knows that kindling a fire means that you're going to bake something, means somebody's got to go out and get sticks and you got to keep it going. God says, don't worry about it. Make your food ahead of time. Let it sit. Just enjoy because I don't want anybody in the family to have to feel like they're doing something. I want them to just be with me. And so, so don't go out and, and, and kindle a fire. And God says, I don't want you, anybody to bear a burden on the Sabbath. In other words, he just said, I just don't want you to work but one of the rules that they came up with was if you're a tailor, this is, they said, if you're a tailor, your job is sewing and, and, and you forget and you have a, maybe a needle or a pin in your robe when you leave the house, 
uh, you're taking your work with you, and if you pull that pin out, you as a tailor now have done work, and you're guilty of breaking the Sabbath. And, and it just the list just goes on and on and on of what the people were weighed down with on just how to observe one law that God had. And it wasn't how God intended it in the first place. The amazing thing is that, that uh, as they continued to follow these, they forgot about the one kind of footnote at the bottom of these 800 pages. And it was, is that in the situation that somebody's life is in danger, really they said you're allowed uh, to show compassion and rescue a life uh, in, on the Sabbath. That trumps all of these others because uh, why because we actually find that in the scriptures in god's law and and jesus actually expands on this as he explains this to the pharisees that you are so obsessed with what people are not supposed to do that you're forgetting what they're supposed to do show compassion show mercy and rescue lives So according to their rules, they call the disciples out for for harvesting grain. There was also a number of laws about just transferring your work with you where you go. And so they were guilty of that as well. They they grabbed the wheat and they were walking. So they're taking work with them. Wow, you know, they should have been exhausted from all of that work that they did that day. But what mattered most to the Pharisees is that it was their law that was being broken. They don't attack the disciples. They don't start yelling at them, do they? Who do they go after? They go after their leader, their teacher. Hey, these guys follow your example, and you're allowing this? How dare you? And Jesus, Jesus rises above their opinion. I love that. As a leader, just as a human, we should all take this to heart. If you put yourself in the story here, they are walking along on their way to worship, and all of a sudden they got some naysayers, some negative, like, ah, you guys are living a terrible life, right? Who do you think you are? You're actually going to worship, and you, you do things uh, like this. If Jesus had cared about opinions, what he should have said, hey, guys, uh, we're leaving, and we're, on our, we're going to the synagogue. I need you all to be on your best behavior, because look, there's a lot of people watching us, and they're out to get me. And we just can't have anybody, oh, let's say, uh, what we need to do today is we need to avoid the appearance of every possible evil, right? Jesus never said it, right? I hear it said a lot uh, in our, our culture today. We, you, just need, you just need to avoid every appearance of evil. But half of the stuff that people are saying is evil isn't even biblically evil, but it's tradition, it's ritual that we've made up in our minds about what is right and what is wrong we haven't dug into the depths of scripture and that's what jesus is saying guys you haven't even studied what god's word says about why we have the sabbath and what it means to honor it so he wants to explain it to them jesus wasn't about putting on a good show he was about helping people follow him to live like him And most importantly, he was about bringing the truth to light. Their opinions only showed their 
their ignorance, right? So Jesus actually goes after them three times in how he responds by basically saying, I don't think you guys know your scripture, which you don't say to the religious leaders, right, of the day. I don't think you know what this means. And don't you remember what it says about and and it says, I don't think you fully understand. Why don't you go back and read, uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then you come back and tell me what it actually means. No wonder uh, the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. What Jesus was saying was God's word, the truth of God's word sets the standard for our lives. Not, not our traditions, not our rituals, not the stuff that's been passed down to us from those that have gone before, and definitely not man's opinion. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man is a trap. But if you trust in the Lord, you are safe. If as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to care about people's opinions, it is just going to shackle us, and it's going to immobilize us from going out and doing what it is that we're called to do in following Jesus. So we've got to be higher than opinion and higher than ritual. Jesus goes and uses Scripture just to go after their ignorance. He says, remember, remember guys, when when David went uh, to the tabernacle in Nob and he ate of the bread of presents um, that he got from the priest? And, And they would have known this story. David's their hero. Everything that David did, according to the Pharisees, was like walking on water. And Jesus says, but was to put out 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel in the presence of God in the tabernacle. And it was kind of this, it was this gift, this offering of the bread of presence, of presence. God's presence with man, man saying, we're here, God. On the Sabbath, it's all about you. And then God says to the priests, no one should eat of this bread. Nobody at all. This is mine. This is a gift that you're giving to me, and it's a reminder to you that I am present with you uh, at all times. Leviticus 22.10, God said a layperson will never eat of the holy things. The priests were allowed, when, when a new a batch of loaves were put out, the priests could take the old and they could eat of it, but nobody else it was reserved only for them. And Jesus says, really to the Pharisees, but you don't hold David accountable for that? Well, why not? Well, one, David was their hero. Heroes can do no wrong, right? So they probably would have searched for justification. But Jesus says it was unlawful. It was, it was wrong for David to do. If you really dig into that story, David actually even lies to the priest in order to get the bread. He said, but we're, we're starving. He was out being hunted by Saul. And he was out in the wilderness and Saul wanted him dead. And he's out running constantly. He needs something to eat. So he goes to the tabernacle and says, I'm, we're starving. We need something to eat. And the priest says, I don't have anything for you. The only food that I have here is the bread of presence. And David says, well, let me have that. The priest says, I can't. Uh, unless, and he's got kind of this, the priest says, unless... I can justify. There's a list of rules. Have you kept yourselves as you've been out in the woods? Have you kept yourselves from, from being with women? And, and, and so there, there are these where the priest stops and goes, um, let me think about this. But it's the priest in the story that found ways to allow it. 
And Jesus goes on to say, have you not read in the law, which is book of Numbers, chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, uh, that God gave the command to the priests to say, on the Sabbath, you will take two lambs and you will butcher them and you will sacrifice them and you will present burnt offerings to me. It was the priest's job to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to God on this holy day when there should be no work. And so what does Jesus say? He says, have you not read in the law how the priests profane the Sabbath? Now what we have to understand is that what Jesus is saying here is very tongue-in-cheek. Right? Because they're not sinning because God told them to do it. But he's saying, but, but you don't go after them for the work that they're doing. And they're guiltless. And Jesus brings it all home. He says, so here's the deal, he guys. He says, the, the bread, basically, the bread of presence in the temple, uh, that represents the presence of God with man, the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of man uh, in the presence of God. And, and Jesus is saying something greater than the temple is here. The priests are making sacrifice in the temple on the Sabbath, but something greater than the temple is here. It's me. I am the bread of presence. I am the sacrifice. I'm the priest that justifies everything. I'm the holy authority over all things. I'm God's true presence on earth. I am God. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. He's Lord over the Sabbath is what he says. It means he's sovereign over. He's the highest authority. He trumps man's rules, man's tradition. Jesus isn't saying that the Sabbath doesn't matter. What he's reminding them of is you have missed the mark on what this was all about in the first place on why God gave this to you, why the Sabbath is observed in the first place, to rest, not to carry around burdens and this list of ritual that you have dumped upon people. And so for one last really kind of punch to them, he says, you know, if you interpreted Scripture correctly, you'd remember what Hosea 6, 6 says, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Then it goes on to say, Jesus doesn't say it, but they would know this, that the verse continues, the knowledge of God rather than ritual. Are you putting into practice what it is you know that God wants from you? Or have you just fallen into just activity for activity's sake and you don't know why you do it? What the priest did in giving David bread was show compassion was to show mercy, to spare lives. There's going back to the Levitical law about uh, the priest making sure that, that that bread was reserved only for him and his sons, the other priests. God adds to it and says, however, if there are others in your home, uh, he says, even if you have a slave that you own that depends on you for, for life, Feed them what it is that you have. If you have a daughter who becomes a widow so her husband can no longer provide for her and now she is now uh, under your care, feed her the holy things. Show mercy 
show love, is show compassion. That's what the priest did. The priest wasn't held accountable for what he did in serving David that bread. David wasn't held accountable because it was the priest that went and he thought, I have to find a way that I, that I can give these men what they need to continue to live. And he says, I, we're, not, we're not told this, but we understand it from the entirety of what God's intention was that the priest said, I can find a way to give this to you. I'll show compassion and I'll show mercy. And Jesus says, I don't think you know what it means, the knowledge of God rather than ritual. What the priest did in butchering sheep and starting fires on the Sabbath was for the sake of saving souls, to make atonement, to make offering on behalf of the people. And Jesus says, if you would know what it means to actually show mercy and show compassion, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. What he's saying is, you wouldn't have gone after my boys who have done nothing wrong. And the reason that they have done nothing wrong, even though it looks like it's wrong to you, is because I'm Lord over the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. Mark, actually, in the telling of this narrative, says that Jesus added to it that he said, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was a gift to be enjoyed, to rest in. And Jesus says what? Jesus says, I'm here now. Everything that, that all of that symbolized, the bread of presence, the sacrifices in the temple, that was all meant to point toward this moment when I would come here. That, that I would be the presence of God among His people. The bread of presence isn't needed anymore because I am the bread of life. And I'm here. The sacrifices are no longer needed because I'm here to be the greatest sacrifice. All of it was just meant for you to, to know that God cares about you, loves you, and wants you to rest in Him. And now that I'm here, you can just rest in me. All of your rules, they don't matter. I've erased them all. Because I've come to save lives. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't call them out on this, but, but just in their own uh, going after the disciples shows their own hypocrisy. Because they, made it their, they felt that it was their job, it was their task, it was their burden to call people out on their sin and to make sure that they're living correctly. And here they are on the Sabbath doing their job, complaining to people about doing work. Jesus doesn't call them out. Why? Because of mercy, compassion, loving kindness. Jesus says, this day is a gift to us. We're just supposed to rest in it. Don't walk around heaping burdens on people, making them carry those around. That goes against what this is all about. But you can see in the law itself what God allows. Rise above your ritual and see that I am Lord. I'm the king. I have the authority to determine what people do or don't do. And here we are now, my disciples following me, the reason that they're eating uh, is because I'm allowing it. Because I get to. Because I'm in charge. This message, this text that we got is, is not 
about what we can or cannot do on the Sabbath. It's not what it's about at all. It's about what we will do because of Jesus in charge of our lives. The one who showed mercy to us. The one who broke the chains of law and the chains of sin and ritual and allows us to enjoy the freedom of living this life with Him. Following Jesus is never meant to be a burden. It's not a burden. The greatest burden that comes from following Jesus oftentimes comes from other Christians telling you that you're not doing it correctly. And it weighs us down something heavily. Can we be the kind of people that we can rise above opinions and rituals? We just get back to the truth of God's Word, that we help one another along this journey rather than drag each other down. And we celebrate following Christ and we bring others up with us. I wonder if 2023, I wonder if we could be the people that set the pace and begin by putting more passion into following Jesus than we do pointing out the wrong way that other people are following Jesus. But we just go, we just live into the joy of Christ that others see it and they go, that's what I want. I want to follow that. That's the God that I want to chase after. Maybe we then could see the statistics of people coming to Christ rise. Can we be true followers of Christ? Do what it is that He's called us to do, to go make disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for today. Thank You for the example that You have set with Your life. Thank You for the rescue that You have given to us, how You always provide, that we can rest in You that You are the one that determines which way we go and You determine our steps. May we be the kind of people that follow so closely that we know what it is that we are supposed to do. Jesus, thank You for dying for our sins. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for empowering us to be able to run away from those things. Thank You, Jesus, for the grace that You give us when we fall when we fail. Thank You, God, that You continue to love us, call out to us, and welcome us into Your arms, even when we're not that great at living this life that You gave to us. I pray, Father, that You would help us to to dig into Your Word deeper, to know what truly it is that we believe. And then we would put it in motion each and every day, just living out the truth of your word. And thank you, Jesus, for standing up for us. Amen.